You're listening to a message from Victory Dumaguete. We are on a series break. On this series break, there's something that I would want to specifically look into. And I would encourage everyone to follow me in what we're covering here today. Because we will be in so many scriptures, perhaps. And this is something that I'd like first to look into as a church because I think this is relevant to us as a local church and to all of us individually. Please turn your Bibles with me for a while to Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 down to verse 16. This is the account of Joshua, Moses, and a man by the name of Amalek. So then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, Choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. And while fighting Moses, Aaron, and Hur, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. While Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, and the other on the other side, so his hands were steady until the going down of the sun, and Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with a sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this as a memorial in a book and recite it in the ears of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the memory of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it, the Lord is my banner, saying a hand upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. Let me read First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 6. So this is in the New Testament now, written by Paul to Timothy. First of all, then I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may all lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. We'll camp on Exodus chapter 17. So I'd like first to be attentive as we cover this. There's like a web of truths that we can find in this text, in this passage that we have. I am also aware that we don't really have the time to cover everything. But nonetheless, yung pwede po nating makuha, kunin na natin. So let me just look into the context of this. So obviously, in Exodus chapter 17, this is a picture of a war, isn't it? Right? Tama po ba? There is a battle that was going on between two leaders... All right, I don't know if you catch that. And I'm pertaining to the Israelites, specifically led at this time by Joshua. They were still led by Moses. But the one 
who was at the forefront of the war was Joshua, isn't it? And then on the other end, there is a guy by the name of Amalek, all right? So you have Joshua representing the Israelites, the Hebrew people, and then you have Amalek representing his own people, and they were at war. And as we understand, Moses was actually in this place. Now, the Lord is my banner. You've encountered this story, the war between Joshua and Amalek. So many of you have encountered this. So ang tendency kasi, when we encounter stories like this, we start asking questions like, what have you learned and how will you apply this in your life? Well, I would say that yes, that is actually good if we take that stance, but I want us to understand that this story in Exodus chapter 17 is not an isolated story. Alright? So, listen, I won't just be preaching here, I'll be teaching as well, so I want you to understand that you cannot just Take this story and make it a bedtime story for our kids. I want us to understand that this is a story that cannot be isolated from the rest of the story of the Bible. So every time you encounter Exodus chapter 17, you have to, have to know what has happened in the past and what's happening in the future. In short, you look at Exodus chapter 17 with the understanding of the history of redemption. The history of redemption that we understand has started basically in the book of Genesis. So meaning to say, Exodus chapter 17 is intertwined. It is connected with the entire storyline or the meta-narrative of God's word. People would call this a typological interpretation. But as we all understand, at the end of this, this will basically point to the Lord Jesus Christ, who actually was the one who won the battle for every single one of us. Let me go ahead to my point and explain all of these things. So first, as a Christian, I want you to understand this. As a Christian, if you're here and you are a believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, you have surrendered your life to the Lord, you have been regenerated, you have been saved, I want you to understand this as a Christian, you are a pilgrim engaged in a spiritual battle. You are a pilgrim engaged in a spiritual warfare. I'm going to explain this in a while. Look, I'd like for you to look at verse 2. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek. Was this a physical warfare? What do you think? Of course, it was a physical warfare. People were dying, people were getting stabbed, people were getting pierced. Man, this is a bloody encounter. Alright? It was a bloody encounter. We understand blood was spilled. Many people perished during this time. But I want us to understand, behind this physical war, behind this physical war between Amalek and Joshua and the Israelites, there was also a spiritual war that was going on. Right? So behind this physical war is a spiritual war. That's what we have here. A physical conflict, what lies behind it is a spiritual conflict. Let me explain that for a while. Okay, what's the first book of the Bible? Genesis. What happened in the first chapter of Genesis? The creation happened. Genesis chapter 2 happened. Something happened in Genesis chapter 3. And this major event, what happened in Genesis chapter 3? It was the fall of man. Right? Because of the disobedience of Adam and Eve. So remember... Adam and Eve were tempted by the serpent, isn't it? 
right? They were tempted by the serpent. Now, here's my question. Did it happen in a physical realm? It happened in a physical realm, right? Was it a physical fruit? It was a physical fruit, right? So, hindi po to guni-guni, hindi po to panaginip. It happened. It was matter. It occupies space and has mass. So it was matter. It happened. Gusto ko lang intindi natin, hindi po to panaginip. This wasn't, it wasn't a dream, no. It was a real story. It happened in a physical realm, in a real garden, and they took a physical fruit. It happened in a physical way. It's something that was seen. But, look at this. Remember when God asked a question. What was the question of the Lord? When they sinned, remember they hid, and God asked them, where are you? Isn't it? Now, I want us to understand, it's not to say that God didn't know where they were, of course. God knew where they were. But the point that I'm making here is, it happened in the physical realm, but because of that question, we understand that the issue was a spiritual issue. Because it's short of asking Adam and Eve, by God asking, where are you? It's short of asking, where is your heart now? Where is your allegiance now? Is your allegiance still with me, the one who created you? Or you have shifted allegiance to the evil one? So it happened in a physical realm, but the implication, as we understand, was spiritual. Our folks following the implication is spiritual. You know, when Adam sinned, I do understand. God talked to Adam. God talked to Eve. But guess what? God brought the judgment over to the serpent, isn't it? Now, here's the judgment. Look at this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says here, he was looking at the serpent. All right, you tempted them. You tempted them. You tempted them. Here's what's going to happen. I will now put an enmity between you, serpent, and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So, ano ibig sabihin Does it mean that beginning, you know, Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, is there going to be a war between men and snakes? No. That's not the point, isn't it? God, in this aspect, he wasn't pertaining to the snake. This is not to say that every time you see a snake, you're going to kill a snake. That's not the point. But what we have here is that if you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 closely, this talks about offspring, isn't it? In short, you know, God was actually saying that there's going to be a hostility. Sino po sa inyo at one point in your life, napaaway na kayo to someone? Take note, friends, take note. This isn't talking about animosity. This isn't talking about giving a cold shoulder. Bible teaches us that this was hostility. There's going to be hostility between those who align themselves with God and those who align themselves with the evil one. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 gives us a picture that from here on, 
In the next coming generations, there's going to be a war. There's going to be a fight. There's going to be hostility between those who align themselves with God and those who hate God. Case in point, look at this. Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. Here's another thing that we have. You understand that the sons of Noah were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem walked with the Lord. Japheth you know, went with Shem. And Ham rebelled against the Lord. So there's a hostility. Hostility between Cain and Abel. Hostility between what? Between Shem and Ham. Not just that. You understand, out of them, Abraham was born. Abraham had a son. And there was what? A hostility between what? Between Isaac and Ishmael. And then Isaac had a son. And there was what? And there was a hostility between Jacob and Esau. And friends, I'm not talking about one generation. We're talking about generations upon generations coming from the line of Abraham. So beginning in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, there has been an ongoing hostility between two groups of people. There's a great divide between brothers, those who align themselves with God, and those who align themselves with the evil one. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says here, He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It gives us a picture that the offspring of the evil one will continuously what? Strike the heel of those who belong to the Lord. And then as we move forward in our text, in Exodus chapter 17 verse 8, we are introduced to a man by the name of Amalek. And this is the first instance, if I'm not mistaken, that we've seen this name and interestingly, as I look into this, I realize that Amalek was actually a descendant of Esau. No wonder he will always go against and try to destroy the descendant of Jacob, which is the Israelites, represented by Joshua. And as we look further, a physical battle was fought between Israel and Amalek, yeah, people died. And like what I said, behind this, at the background of this, is a spiritual war, actually. More than a physical warfare. In the course of history, we would understand that the seed of Satan would always strike repeatedly at the heels of God's people. And I want you to understand to a certain extent, it's actually true to the church in our generation. It was a wonderful thing about this. The wonderful part actually here is all of us were not born during that time. We were born during this time wherein all we have are stories and we can reflect on all of these stories because we understand that at the end of the day, out of the seed of Abraham, out of the seed of the woman, will rise an offspring, the son of a woman who will actually crush the serpent's head who will win the victory for us. And as we understand, it is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. So from the context of Genesis, we understand that Israel's battle with Amalek was not just physical, it was a spiritual battle. Here's what's interesting. Let's look into the story for a while. Israel fought with Amalek. They experienced victory 
not because they were militarily superior, if there's such a word. It's not because they were more superior in their ammunition or whatever they have. No. Try to look into that. What made them won the battle? I want you to understand, next time you read this, it tells you that this is not an ordinary battle. This isn't an ordinary battle. You know why? Because it tells us that they won the battle not because Joshua was so good. They won the battle because the priest and the prophet Moses was up on the mountain interceding for them. So, like what I said, it's not just a physical battle. It's a spiritual battle. Now, I don't know with you, friends, I think much of the battles that we face in our lives can all be won on bended knees. For Moses, right, he didn't go to war, but rather he told Joshua, go there, go at the forefront. As for me, I'm going to climb up the mountain and I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to intercede for you. That's why this is in any ordinary battle because in this aspect, we see that Israel trusted the Lord for their victory. Israel actually trusted the Lord for their victory. If you would allow me to say this, because Israel fought so many wars, I would say that all of these wars were divinely sanctioned wars and battles. Bakit po? Kasi, kasi all of these wars contributed to what God was going to accomplish for the salvation of His people. So they were divinely sanctioned and they were fighting wars upon wars upon wars upon wars until such a time that Christ was brought to them. Remember, if you've been with Victory for quite some time now, people keep telling you, Hey, let's go out there. Let's honor God and make disciples. Honor God. Let's make disciples. Let's make disciples. It's always about the kingdom. When I was doing this church, it was actually way longer. It's not honor God, make disciples. Like, if I remember it right, we exist to honor God and advance His kingdom. No, I can't remember. It was so long. It was talking about taking dominion and stuff like that. I want you to understand this. In a sense, look at this, in a physical sense, during these times, the Israelites would advance their kingdom through physical war. Through physical warfare. So, by engaging in a physical warfare, they are advancing God's kingdom. You catch it? Until Christ was born. Right? Let me explain that. When Jesus was born, God's people are no longer called to fight for the advancement of God's kingdom with the sword. Right? They're not to preserve God's kingdom with a sword. You remember when they captured Jesus in the garden, what did Peter do? He lifted his flint knife and struck the ear of the soldier. And Jesus was like, no, 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 that's not how we do things. Not anymore. That's not how we advance God's kingdom. That's not how we preserve God's kingdom. So when Jesus was born, things started changing. In fact, if you remember in, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, the forerunner of Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
The Moses of John the Baptist was, you guys repent, you guys repent, you guys repent, because the kingdom is here. What kingdom are you talking about? Isn't it we are the ones who advance God's kingdom? John chapter 18, verse 36, look at Jesus talking to Pilate. And this is interesting. Jesus said, you know what, Pilate? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, Pilate, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom, Mr. Pilate, is not from the world. So something was changing here. Here's what I want us to understand. In the olden times, the kingdom in the Old Testament was of this world. So the kingdom was of this world. It was a physical kingdom. It was an earthly kingdom. But when Christ was born, He basically inaugurated a new kingdom. He inaugurated a kingdom and his kingdom purposes were advanced in and through the new way of advancing them. It was actually Christ who brought the kingdom of God with power. Look at this. Having said that, I ask this question now. If that's the case, if it is true that the days of advancing Old Testament, if the days of the advancing God's kingdom with the sword is over, does that mean that we don't do any warfare in our times right now? Does that mean that we don't engage in a warfare? The answer is a big no. Because as we understand later, something like this isn't fought in the physical realm, but it is fought in the spiritual realm. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 to 6. Here's what Paul says. I'm attempting to make a see that there is a spiritual warfare behind the things that we are all doing. Look at what Paul said, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. Then he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but of divine power to destroy strongholds. Look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 18. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present age, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, he says, take up the whole armor of God so that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, he says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all saints. In essence, Paul is saying, that our warfare is a spiritual warfare. For the church, for the members of the church, for those who are with God, our warfare is a spiritual warfare. Why? 
Because we understand the Christ kingdom is not earthly. Where do you think is the visible expression of the kingdom of God, at least here on earth? When people gather together, when Christ's people come together, then that is a picture of what? Of the kingdom of God. Manifested here in our world right now. It is true that in the age to come, there will not be any warfare anymore. But while we are here, there is indeed a warfare. You know what? This is interesting. Can you go back to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 18? Can you go to the last few verses? Look, in the first few verses, he starts talking about the breastplate, the shield. He starts talking about the different armors. Look, isn't it interesting that at verse 18, prayer isn't part of that whole armor. Prayer is not something that you pick and put it on you. That's not what prayer is. In fact, it says here, with everything that you have, you have the Word, you have everything, Prayer ties everything up. So it was like saying, you may have all the armor, you may have the entire or whole armor, the breastplate of righteousness, you may have the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, you may have all of these things, but without prayer, without prayer, the church will not prevail. Without prayer, the church will not prevail. You know, Amalek was introduced in Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. Look at this. Isn't it interesting that Joshua was also introduced here? So it's actually both Joshua and Amalek introduced in Exodus chapter 17. I mean, who was Joshua? If I can have a profile of this man, the Joshua was what? The right hand man of Moses. He was a young man, way younger. He was a skilled military leader. Remember, he eventually was the one of the two spies together with Caleb that went out there and gave a report. And here, he is introduced to us in verse 8 to set a contrast between him and Amalek. Those who side with the evil one and those who side with the Lord. What was Amalek's desire? Amalek's desire, he was devoted to the destruction of God's people. I pulled out Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 17, and 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 2. I realized that it starts describing the Israelite army. It gives us a picture that the Israelite army during this time was far different from Israel's military in our generation right now. Israel right now, man, they're the best of the best. But during this time, guess what? They were poorly armed. They were inexperienced. If you remember, I said a while ago, they were only good at crying out. They were servants. They were never warriors. They have just learned to become warriors. They were poorly armed. So again, how then did Israel experience victory? The story is very clear. By the power of God... Working through them, through the intercession of Moses. Archie, does it say that Moses actually prayed? It didn't say that Moses actually prayed. But what do you make of this posture? What do you make of the posture of going up the mountain and lifting 
his hands to the heavens. What then is that, friends? Tripping lang? No. He was asking the Lord. He was praying to God. He was interceding for the people. The position and the posture of Moses with hands lifted to the heavens gave us a picture that he was actually praying for them. I think about this and you know, Moses went up, lifted up his hands to the heavens and the people went to the battle. Look at the sequence of this story. It gives us a picture of us as God's people. Look, his arms started weakening. Isn't that strange? If you know this story, isn't that strange? Pag nakataas yung kamay niya, nananalo sila. Pag nakababa yung kamay niya, natatalo sila. I mean, ano yung magic? Hindi po magic yan. Ang tawag dyan, dasal. And human as he was, his arms started weakening. Now, homie, at one point in your life, you weaken in your faith. All of us. We weaken in our spiritual disciplines. And here, it gives us a picture that, yes, it's true. Kahit pa Moses ka, you will be weak. I was sharing this with Rian two days ago. Well, let me just segue to this a little bit. Look at Mark chapter 7, verse 21 to 23. And this is for all of us. Look at this. It says here, For from within. Everybody say within. Look at this. For from within. For from within. Out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. So it's not entirely up to external factors. No, 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 no. Even left on your own, you are weak apart from the grace of God. Even if you're the leader of leaders out there, even if you call yourself an apostle or a bishop, whoever you are, apart from the grace of God, you know, sometimes our prayer is, Lord, keep me. Lord, yun lang yung prayer, Lord. Lord, keep me, keep my family. Because that's asking God for mercy over our lives. And Moses here was weak. And here's what's interesting. Look at this. He wasn't just weak. His arms were not just weak. But it says here, he started what? He started getting so tired. And what did they do? Aaron and her, they brought a what? A stone as a chair for him to sit on. Prayer is not just done in private. Prayer involves the community. Prayer should always be done corporately. That's why I will always dare tell every single one of you never to miss corporate worship. Even if I'm not a pastor, friends, I will consider this the most important meeting of my week. 
because I get to meet with the Lord with the rest of the church community. Yeah, if that's a rebuke to you, good for you. And it says here, he started praying at morning and it lasted all day long. What does it tell us? Bro, pwede ko pa pray. Ah, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Sarap ng beef steak. Ala nang pray-pray muna, mamaya na yung prayer. You know what this is teaching us? This is teaching us to what? To be persistent with our prayer. Friends, when was the last time we prayed? When was the last time we went to the Lord, closed the door behind us, and just really prayed to God? On a given week, not on a Sunday. Look at verse 16, and here's what happened. Look at the conclusion of this passage. And I like this. They won the war. Moses then go running to them. Yay! We won the war. Come on, give me Ivan. It wasn't like it says here. Moses then built an altar. He built an altar and called the name of it, The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. He said, the Lord is my banner, saying, A head upon the throne of the Lord. The Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. You know what's interesting? I was looking into this, and I realized that, yes, altars is for worship, isn't it? Altars is for worship. I don't know if you know this, but many of you here, if you love watching war movies, I've never been to war. So some of you, in your younger days, you've been to fraternity wars, whatever. Right? But when you are in a war, when you're in a battle, I think, huh? and I think this is right, when you're in a war, I think there's confusion. Why? Because you're swarmed by different bodies around you. You have your sword. You know, blood is here, blood is there. And guess what? If you are in the middle of the war, you don't even know if you're winning the war. Not until you see the banner raised behind you. You're looking for your friend. My friend is not here. My leader is not here. What do you look for? What do you look for in the midst of a confusion? You look for the banner. Once the banner is lifted up, the battle is still on. We're still in the fight. As long as the banner is lifted up, the banner points us to where we need to go, where we need to advance. As long as the banner is lifted up, it tells us that the war is still going on. Let's keep fighting. In this sense, Moses said, the Lord is my banner because God will never fail. God will never falter. He will never fall down. So I'm asking you right now, what is those mini battles that you're facing in your life right now? What are your mini battles? Your mini wars? That's causing you to get so confused. That's causing you to get so anxious, to get so angry. And I want you to understand this. In the midst of that confusion, in the midst of that anxiety, in the midst of that anger, the Lord is our banner. The Lord is our banner. This fight between Amalek and Joshua 
is interesting because if you look at this closely, you would come to understand that this pertains to what? This pertains to spiritual battle. You know why I am so confident in our spiritual battle? Because I know this battle has already been won. This isn't a losing cause. Are you folks with me? I am siding with someone who is what? Who is God Himself. That's why I will always be passionate for the kingdom. I will always give it my all to the kingdom. Why? Because this is what matters in this world. Every single thing that I do, I understand, always has a bearing to eternity. I challenge all of you here today, if you're here and you don't have any commitment to the kingdom of God, what are you doing with your life? If you're so caught up, so consumed with just your Shopee and all of these things, there's nothing wrong with that. If you're just so consumed with your own life, but you're not heavily invested in the kingdom of God, friends, may I wake you up today. What are you doing with your life? You may have all the money in the world, but I will dare say to you that you're wasting your life. God didn't redeem us for nothing. God redeemed us for a purpose. Why I'm so confident is because at the end of the day, I understand I will always, 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 for the rest of my life, until my last dying breath, I will always rally behind God. You know why? Because Christ Jesus is my banner. No wonder the Bible says, for I, Jesus said, for I, when lifted up, will draw all men to myself. Will draw all men to myself. John chapter 12, verse 20 to 32. This is the verse. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And I... What I am lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself. What else is the matter? Like what I said, it was a physical war, but it reflects the spiritual reality. The spiritual reality is the banner that has been raised is the cross of Christ. So when Jesus said it is finished, it is over. He has won the war. Joshua, friends, defeated Amalek. But Jesus is the greater Joshua. Jesus is the greater Moses. He defeated not just Amalek and his descendants. He defeated the evil one himself. Crushed his head. And that spiritual reality makes us understand that this second Adam, the one greater than Moses, deserves our worship as his people. A few more things, and I'm gonna end. As I look into this, I start thinking about what are the implications of this in my life. Number one, the implication of this is friends, you are in a spiritual warfare. 
And it can be fought only when we pray. We will be prayerful. Another thing that we could understand here is I want us to know that the banner defines our identity and the banner defines and points us to the direction where He wants us to go. If we are truly worshipers of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our banner, there's no need for me to tell you what He wants from you. There's no need for me to tell you what His instructions are for you. Because I, for one, really know that you know what God, our Lord Jesus Christ, wants for you. You know where He wants you to go and what He wants you to accomplish. You just heard a message from Victory Dumaguete. For more messages like these or to access other resources, please visit victorydumaguete.org or like our page on Facebook.